Hello, Bill. Good morning, Matt. Welcome to the DMZ, everybody. How are you doing, Matt? I am hanging in there. <laughs> How are you doing, Bill? Uh, I'm fine. Um, I mean, let's just address the elephant in the room. Uh, you want me to say it? Do you, would you rather I say it or you say it? What's, what's going to go down easier for you? Well, no, I don't know if this is what you're getting at, but you were right. Once again, Ugh. you and I, I don't know when this happened at a certain <laughs> You haven't always been the best predictor, but I feel like you've had a run of a year or two now where you have nailed it, your prediction. So we've been doing this for a I think, God I, think more than a year. I think more than a year, Matt. Let's go. It, it, it starts it starts May 2019. May 2019 is when I wrote for Politico that Joe Biden was in the driver's seat in the Democratic primary, that the Democratic electorate was, matched what he was offering when nobody else was saying that. That's wow. What, that, that's what it begins, Matt. It could be. I mean, I do know that my tw this is ancient history. I know my 2016 predictions were better. Yes, than yours. I, I had that the, was I had the worst. You know, Hillary Jeb take in Politico in 2015, before Trump even came down the elevator. Um, so that 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 was my low point. But I've but been it sounds like you've had like a five year run. Then, if, if based on this, I mean, time flies. But anyway. Uh, allow me to say congratulations. I just for people for people who aren't following, I predicted that Trump would not win Iowa and New Hampshire. You thought he would lose and one. That he would lose one of the two, and I thought it would be New Hampshire, and uh, that did not happen. Bill, you were right. I was wrong. Um, luckily, we did not bet anything. So this is what I, I don't have to humiliate really myself. When bet when I actually bet. That's when it all goes all goes wrong. All right, next time I'm gonna, I'll get you betting by the end of the day. What, what was, I don't think I was making a daring prediction here, Matt. I was making the most conventional possible prediction one could come up with based on the available data. But there was this weird, and I'm not trying to put this on you, Matt, but I feel like in a lot of the commentary and reporting, I mean, I'm mostly getting CNN. That's what I have in my in my AirPods when I'm walking the dog generally. Um, I felt there was a lot of Nikki Haley wish casting out there. Like I felt with you, like you, you would, you made that prediction, you know, way back. Yeah, yeah. And, and no, I was sort of like, if you picked the Buffalo Bills to win the Super Bowl in August, yeah, you would have stuck with them against the Chiefs this weekend, even if you kind of thought the Chiefs were going to win. You would have. You would have stuck with it because, hey, I made that. So, yeah, right. you're right. That's kind of where I was. I, in fact, I wrote a column, um, I think, on the eve of New Hampshire where I said I wouldn't bet on Nikki, but I would vote for her. Right. So, something right. like that. Whereas I feel like in the last two weeks, there was a lot of hyperventilating that this could really happen. New Hampshire, it, al it always bucks tradition. There's always independence. Chris Christie dropped out. Uh, and I just... There was there was lots of data going the other way that I thought the professionals were just ignoring. Yeah, because uh, I just, will say I think you know I am more kind of romantic and uh, than you are in this sense, and I have I have seen Obama in 08 
kind of collapse and Hillary comes out, it surprises everybody and wins New Hampshire and McCain in 2000 and in 2008. Um, uh, certainly in 2008, it was a surprise. I mean, McCain had been left for dead at a certain point during that race and it was a huge comeback and he wins New Hampshire. The comeback and so, happened that he had already come back in the polling before election day. He wasn't behind on election day. As I recall, now the Hillary one was a, a, a real surprise. Hillary is the one example of the entire history of the New Hampshire primary where not only was she behind in the polling on election day, but had no momentum leading into in the polling leading into right. election day. There are other cases where people were behind. Gary Hart, 84, uh, George H.W. Bush, 88. Um, uh, but there was momentum that was detected in all or most polling. In the Hillary case, what, what happened was three days before the election was the debate when Barack Obama has that patronizing, you're likable enough comment. And it was one day before where Hillary's at a campaign stop and she gets a little teary and says, this is very personal to me. Uh, and, you know, a huge uh, women-driven backlash occurs that happens too late for the polls to capture. Uh, but in this, and, and look, you could argue, you know, Haley over overperformed relative to polling averages. Uh, there was something that happened that the polling didn't pick up, which I think was a lot of more Democratic, you know, Biden leaners or actual Biden voters who are like, I, I just don't want Donald Trump, but I'm going to. Well, I do think I, I think I do think Nikki closed strong. And when I say closed, I mean, literally like the last day or two, yeah. she finally tightened her message. And in fact, her consent, we'll call it a concession speech, was the best I've ever seen her ever. And of course, it was ironic that she would deliver her, her sharpest critique of Donald Trump. And I think she looked great. I think she seemed very relaxed and it's ironic of course that it would come after it doesn't matter but it's um, a little too late haley's best is still not that good she's still no this was did you see it bill did you see yeah the i saw it <laughs> no that was good that was I, legit good i'm just i i i'm generally just meh whenever i say haley i'm saying meh uh and the and part of the problem is that the the basic message that she is saying one it's it's incongruous from the results you know it's it's heavy spit i mean look bill clinton did the whole come comeback kid bit when he came in second in new hampshire which quite frankly was bs it was not that impressive a victory and the only reason why it sort of goes down in lore as his great speech is that there were a whole bunch of southern primaries coming up that they're very well suited to him so he's he has had a sort of maintained viability to get there because Paul Songus wasn't really primed to do well in, in Georgia, for example. But the absolute best New Hampshire concession speech of all time is Barack Obama's Yes, We Can speech. You don't, you don't even like remember this was a, a concession speech because it was so amazing uh, and had nothing to do with the results. There wasn't an electability argument there. He just had an actual vision 
that had resonance that he was going to deliver regardless of the circumstances. And Haley just does not have that. I I think Nikki Haley gave a great speech, a concession speech. But look, it's a moot point. It doesn't matter. Before we turn to like, what does this all mean? And, and does she even have a chance? Will she make it to South Carolina? All that. I want to go back to your predictive powers, Bill. Okay, please. Um, because... I feel like now maybe it started in 2018 in terms of of getting on this role, um, but I feel like you early on detected that Trump was going to be the Republican nominee, and as you noted, some people were still clinging to hope as recently as well, still today. Um, but uh, you, I mean, you were quick to say uh, DeSantis doesn't have what it takes. You were ahead of the curve. I think you were exactly right. Um, talk, if you would, just about that. Well, I, not DeSantis, but but seeing that Trump was going to win. But I, I, I wasn't saying that at the beginning of the year. I, and I didn't believe that. And I still don't. I, I don't believe he was preordained from the beginning. And I've seen people knock me over the course of the last several months. Uh, oh, these these Democrats, they want it to be Trump. They're saying things because they want it. You know, they they don't they don't want you to take Haley seriously or DeSantis seriously because they want Biden to have the weakest nominee. My argument early on was it is not settled whether the Republican Party is Trump's party. There is some conflicting data here. And it's uphill to dislodge Trump, but there is, I mean, he he sagged in trial heat polling after the midterm. He fell below 50%. Uh, there, was, there was a clear divide on Ukraine that I think at the start of the year was more 50-50. Uh, and so there was a path to take that would try to unite those old school national security conservatives with those who were becoming unsure about Trump's own electability. But I did think it required a frontal assault. Yeah. You couldn't tap dance around it. Uh, and that, that's a good point, Bill. DeSantis, remember, he said that Ukraine's not in our strategic interest. Right. Like Nikki ended up, of course, being a strong defender of Ukraine, but she didn't have the capacity to bring in the MAGA populist folks. Well, I mean, what if DeSantis, what if DeSantis had staked out Ukraine, for example, try to keep people like me in the fold, but also brought in some former Trump voters who were kind of ready to move on, right? Maybe that's what I think you had to do everything. You know, I mean, Christie was the closest to what I thought should happen, but he was by himself. And he was, and he was, the was a bad vessel. The bad vessel. He'd already lost a lot of. He lost credibility with the Republicans when he hugged Obama at Hurricane Sandy. Like his 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 favorability amongst Republicans was rock bottom. Uh, so he's so by himself, he was no good. Now, if he was tip of the spear, and then twenty other people came behind him, then maybe that could have been something. Uh, but you know, Haley was uh, good on Ukraine, but still very hesitant to go at Trump directly. Uh, DeSantis was trying to be Trump 2.0. Uh, I'm Trump without the baggage and the more competent Trump. And beyond the people actually running, there's no reinforcement on the broader party. I, I think you needed just a massive team effort 
to puncture the conservative media echo chamber. So the, the media Republican voters is not just hearing from people they are skeptical of and suspicious of, but people that they trust saying, well, you know, that that was never going to happen, Bill. Well, I that, mean, it's right. it's far fetched enough to, to I mean, I think it's it's difficult enough to imagine DeSantis doing everything he needed to do. But the idea that you were going to get a lot of Republicans to be courageous and bold and like if that was going to happen, then they would have done that already. Right. They would have done that. They would have voted uh, to convict him and he wouldn't even be eligible to. Well, this is right? why so, I mean, but there, there was a moment December to February, December 22 to February 23, when Republicans were definitely angry about the midterms. And yes, and maybe not so openly, but angry that Trump foisted horrible nominees on them in key races. If it was going to happen, it had to happen there. And so by the yeah. time we get to April, when I wrote my DeSantis piece, this is after the Alvin Bragg indictment over the Stormy Daniels hush payments, where almost all Republicans rallied around Trump. Uh, that was when I really tipped over and was like, OK, if you're, if you're not going to do yeah. this. It's just going to be here. Like, why, why bother running and humiliate yourself if this is how you're going to do it? And this is an example of why having these discussions are so helpful for me, because you really talked me into DeSantis can't win. I wrote a piece in May, which was still well before <laughs> Trump, I'm sorry, well before DeSantis officially announced, echoing you declaring DeSantis should not run. But it was because you and I had had that discussion. Yeah. And uh, I, I think you were you were really ahead of the curve. I was still ahead of the curve because we had hashed that out. But I remember being um, uh, initially uh, thinking you were wrong about uh, DeSantis. But, you know, the, the more you looked at it, the more I open mindedly looked at uh, what you said, it became pretty clear. Well, there was an argument that, you know, this is your moment. You know, it, it may not be a lock, but you got to strike with the iron's hot. You're, you have this great reelection campaign. You're crushing it with the legislature. You know, if you wait, you'll, 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 you'll be Chris Christie and you know, it, will, it will be pathetic if you try four years later. And like, I'm not saying like it was a given he would be the nominee in 2028. I mean, there, there, there's, there's risks wherever you go. Uh, but it just seemed to me like, DeSantis had already done the book tour. He did the book tour at the end of February and it was hit with the, indi the indictment guy in the middle of it. And people, people were saying, well, you know, well, this, this is an indictment, you know, but once we get past this one, it will, he'll have a shot or the other indictments will be worse. It'll be January 6th, the classified docs. Uh, so, you know, those will be different. And I was like, you, you're just not getting it. You have to, you have to, even if the, even the story Daniels one wasn't the greatest indictment, like you got to build, it, it's it, it's such a challenge. It requires yeah, beating Trump is, um, <clears throat> it he is way more resilient, and uh, I'll use magical or there, he is hard to kill politically. And there might have been two or three moments in the past eight years when he was down, and if they kicked him when he was down, maybe. But they always gave him a hand up, right? They that's always why, helped him back. That's up. why you have to. Whether it's, have it's, it's Kevin McCarthy going to Mar-a-Lago. It's it's Mitch McConnell not even voting 
You need all that reinforcement. It's Ron DeSantis defending him, saying that it's uh, the politicization of the Justice Department and the legal system coming after indicting him. Yeah, I mean, think what would happen if, I mean, in a normal circumstance, if a candidate is getting indicted for anything. I mean, let's, I mean, I, and I grant you that the Story Daniels thing is not as uh, severe. You wouldn't even need the indictment. The scandal alone would have well, exactly. taken down exactly. any other politician. Exactly. I mean, we have a Virginia state legislative candidate who had consensual sex online and lost a swing district, you know, large, a very, very close race, but it probably would have won that race if not for that one really minor scandal. This is the titular leader of your party who made hush money payments for an affair with a porn star so he could win an election in 2016. That, that and by the way, his base are evangelical Christians. Yes. Think if, if the entirety of the Republican Party in March said, uh, I don't know if this indictment is going to lead to a conviction or not, but this is a morally flawed person. This will not be the last indictment. We need to have a campaign that focuses on Biden's failed record and not uh, a immoral leader of our own party. Uh, and we need to band together and give someone with a clean slate a chance. Uh, yeah. If it was not just Chris Christie saying that, but but it was if it was McConnell and McCarthy uh, and, uh, and and Lindsey Graham and Matt Gates, you know, if, if if everyone was doing it, like you, if you were listening to you know Steve Bannon's podcast or Fox News or Newsmax, like you wouldn't be able to ignore that. It would be in the conservative you know dialogue. It would just be a totally different dynamic. But th- that requires a lot of coordination and courage, which is clearly. You know, no. very, very limited in the Republican Party right now. And I mean, for good reason, because Trump just keeps winning. Um, and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. He well, he wins because you thought he was going to win because you were afraid to challenge him because he always wins. So he always wins. So you're afraid to challenge him. And it's now a vicious cycle. But I do want to say this, and I, I don't want to shift the blame. Republicans own this guy and he owns them. But I do think if it was perceived that the Democratic nominee was a more formidable, vigorous uh, opponent, then it's possible that the electability argument might have had more weight. That, that well, Nikki certainly. or or I mean, here's where Haley's other problems. You know, she had she had a theory of the case that I think was baked in a year ago that she didn't deviate from regardless of external circumstances. You know, I need to make this a two-person race. I had to make it about electability. Uh, Well, Trump's beating Biden in most national polling. Well, I beat him by more. Okay, in this one poll from early December, I got four other polls here that show Trump doing better than you versus Joe Biden. Uh, What? I can't hear you. It's a two-person race. I'm I'm better than, than Trump against Biden. You know, she... I mean, elective, anything that's poll-based is, is at risk, is vulnerable to shifting polls. You know, it's not rooted in something more. How in the hell, how in the hell could it be that Donald Trump, after four indictments, uh, being found liable for sexual assault by a jury of his peers, inciting a riot, 
How could it be that not only is this guy poised to be the Republican nominee, he's also beating Joe Biden in national polls, not just Republican polls. So wouldn't it be nice if Nikki didn't have to bullshit and if she could actually say, oh, by the way, Trump is going to lose in November. Therefore, you must elect me or nominate me. I'm just saying a presidential candidate needs more than that. I mean, Biden was able to make an electability argument in 2020, uh, but he also had to say my health care plan for a public option is more realistic than Medicare for all. Uh, he needed to have some direct pushback to the main uh, you know, utopian ideas that are being put forth uh, from the more uh, you know, left-wing candidates, uh, which weren't in, in odds with the electability armor, but part and parcel of. You know, it, was, it wasn't strictly like, look at the poll numbers, I win. Um, I, th- I think as in and of itself, that wouldn't have been sufficient. I don't think the poll numbers were, were that stark uh, between him and any other candidates, depending on what, what poll you were looking at. But he had to make an argument that was attached to it that said, yeah. I have actually- but, but I also think Democrats were so afraid of Trump and they were willing to do whatever it took, even if that meant nominating an old white dude who's a moderate who used to hang out with segregationists. They were willing to do it because Trump was so evil and beating him was so important. I don't think Republicans have the same sense that Biden is that formidable or that willing. I mean, he made aware that being a moderate makes me a better candidate will make me better at governing. Uh, you're mad about me hanging with segregationists? Well, I'm doing great with African-American voters in South Carolina, so I've just negated that argument. Like, there's things he could put on the table uh, that say, I, I, like, don't vote for me because I'm a secret racist. Vote for me because I actually have a track record of bringing black and white voters together. Um, like, he, he had substantive things to put on the table. And, I mean, Haley has, you know, certain wisps of that, but I don't think it really gelled into like, I'm more electable because yeah. I support X, Y, and Z. Well, one thing we know about the Republican Party is they they do not care about um, passing the torch to a new generation. They sure as heck don't care about that. Well, on the Democrats. And, and, and I don't think they care at all about, um, you know, optics or niceties. I mean... They, they want Barabbas, as, as I wrote in my uh, column. Let me ask you this, Bill. As we, um, so Nikki gave that, I think, very good concession speech. Um, and she said, we're going to South Carolina. South, you know, New Hampshire's uh, maybe the first, it's the first, it's not the last kind of thing. Um, do you think she actually makes it to South Carolina, her home state? It could be embarrassing to lose your home state. Does she make it all the way? And is there a chance? She's down, what, 30 points or something in South Carolina. Is, you know, two-part question. Will she actually make it, and does she even have a chance there? Well, the answer to your second way, I think, is no. Um, South Carolina is not. I mean, North New Hampshire was as good a state for Haley as you could possibly come up with, and she still lost. Maybe overperformed a bit, but still lost. Uh, South Carolina, it, Republican primary, deeply conservative, much more religious, uh, and it may be her state, but there's nothing in the polling that suggests she gets that much of a home state bump there. Um, so uh, 
I mean, it's just the same way like Marco Rubio couldn't beat Donald Trump in Florida in 2016. Like, that yeah. doesn't matter. Uh, no, it still bothers me that a state being very conservative and deeply religious guarantees Trump wins. I mean, no, Trump I'm, not, much- I'm, not dispute, I'm not disputing it. You're exactly right. Yeah. But it bothers me because a real conservative who is truly devoutly religious should vote for Nikki Haley over Donald Trump. I mean, perhaps it is not for me me to say, you know, as a as a non-believer, but it, it seems to me that uh Trump has infected the evangelical community, has changed the nature of, of their religious relationship. But or or he has benefited from uh that trend that was already underway, or they were never who I thought they were. And by the way, let me just say, I mean, this isn't about me. That doesn't in any way impact my belief in Berkian conservatism or Jesus <laughs> at all, but it does depress me and, <laughs> and uh, uh, about my fellow my fellow man in some cases. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to belabor that point, but I want to give it to your other, your other question. Does, does, yes, Haley make it, does Haley make it to South Carolina? I mean, on yeah. one hand, that, that is strictly her personal decision. You know, if she, if she wants to limp into South Carolina, even though everyone around her says that she shouldn't and that she's only down to her last dime, if she wants to, you know, make her last stand there, she can. But I suspect that the money is going to dry up that people around her are going to say, there's no path for you. It's a month away. It's not like it's next week. So it's, it's, a, it's a lot of living off the land if you don't have the money to pay. Yeah, and, and in between, she's going to lose Nevada. Yeah, but she said her speech next is, 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 is South Carolina. I'm like, no, it's not. It's Nevada. And you don't even bother to put your name in contention for the caucus because there's a weird thing going on there where they're there's a caucus and a primary, but the primary is a beauty yeah. contest with no delegates. No, but it's even worse than that, Bill. She could lose the she's so she's on the primary ballot, right? Which is gives you no delegates, right? But she's on the primary ballot. She's the only person on the primary ballot, but she could lose to none of the above. Yeah, Nevada's got that that thing there. So um, she could not only lose the caucuses, I believe, where yeah. the delegates are awarded. She's not even competing there, so she will certainly will lose that. But she could actually lose the primary to none of the above. So that would be, I think, a pretty embarrassing. That would be almost a dean. Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll that's accelerate the process here. But uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, Ron DeSantis after Iowa, you know, you guys punched my ticket, and then five days later he was out. So uh, it's they one thing to be his kind of, nose. Is what they punched? They punched his nose. That's right. That's right. So. It's it's one thing to be riding that crowd high the night of a primary, but you know reality is going to set in pretty fast, and it's only going to be so. It's only a question of like how how stubborn is she, and how much humiliation can she take? And I'm not one to believe that she can take all that much humiliation. So my guess is she does drop out before South Carolina. Um, Tim Scott was on stage. Uh... Don't know if you have any thoughts about, I mean, all, look, it's been Tim themselves. Nancy Mace, uh, two candidates that, you know, Nikki, I think Nikki Haley appointed Tim Scott 
Nancy Mace is her representative in Congress. It's not great. Um, let's start with the Democrats, though. What do you think okay. about Dean Phillips getting, uh, I think last week he was like at 19? Um, it was ticking down a little bit as the votes were trickling in. But, you know, in the vicinity of 20%, um, do you think that has any great meaning going forward? Obviously, I've been following this as closely but as the Republicans, but I, I see this as a um, win for Joe Biden, right? Uh, yeah. First of all, Biden and the Democrats offended New Hampshire. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Biden still won without even being on the ballot. He won a write-in, I would say, pretty convincingly. So based on what I know, you, know, you, you follow this more closely than I do, Bill. I, I feel like this is probably a good sign for Joe Biden. Oh, and by the way, let me go back real quick and say, I agree with something you said earlier, which is, I think in 2016, Obama and Democrats actually did boost Trump's chances. I think they thought Trump would be easier to beat. Mm -hmm. I do not think they did that intentionally this time. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think they're going to... Um, they're certainly pivoting and they're going to, you know, they'll, they'll find a way... Trump presented Trump is a target rich environment for Democrats. I do not think they intentionally boosted Trump this time around. Uh, so right now, not uh, intentionally, even though the indictment did, <laughs> did well, seal I, the deal. I think that Biden came with a statement last night saying it's going to be Trump. Like he could have hang, hung back and like let him fight it out for some more. Yeah. But, like, <clears throat> they are, they are prepared for a general election campaign. I think they believe that once Americans believe Trump is the nominee, that that might change these general election polls. That Well, I, I keep hearing, because, you know, I listen to approximately five hours of podcasts a day, so I can't keep it all straight. I keep hearing smart pollsters and people say the American public doesn't realize that it's actually going to be Trump versus Biden yet. Right. right. I find that hard to believe. But that's what they keep saying. Right. I mean, I think probably there's some data that's been taken to to suggest that. Um, and we'll see if it makes a little, that much difference in trial heat polling. But I, I, think, I think the Biden campaign thinks once everyone sees unequivocally that this is the choice, our numbers are going to go up. So they, they don't they don't see the value in having more Haley Trump bloodletting. And I, I don't know if that's right, because I do think one thing that Haley has done, I wrote about this today, my, my post New Hampshire take up, up at the Washington Monthly. Uh, I think ageism is the big loser here. Uh, both Haley and Phillips had ageist arguments, explicitly so. These people are too old to be president. I mean, Haley was like, everybody knows, every doctor will tell you at a certain age there is decline, which, of course, is literally not true. There's no exact age where we all decline. Um, it's different for every, every individual. Um, um, uh, but, they, but they both said things like that explicitly. And I think neither one attached that to things that were substantive. So, uh, you know, Nikki Haley said, uh, we don't want more of the same of these two. We want to go forward. Well, to a Republican, Donald Trump is going forward. The things that Donald Trump did in office, they like. They, they don't, they're, not, they're not doing the DeSantis thing of saying, well, he didn't get this bill passed or that bill passed. That's not what they yeah. care about. They care about the attitude they brought to the office, the, the fights that he picked. Um, in, that, in their mind, that's going forward. 
And, you know, Dean Phillips said similar, similar things, but to the average Democrat, you know, dude, Dean Phillips said early on, Biden did a spectacular job. This is not the past, it's about the future. Biden is doing a spectacular job in the present to the average Democrat and past things like infrastructure investment, semiconductor manufacturing, clean energy investment. This is all future oriented policy. So like that argument doesn't make any sense to a Democrat. Uh, and, uh, and this is why ageism by itself isn't as potent as as people think. Uh, well, but- I, th- I think that the polls would tell you that it works and resonates, but it has not performed. It, it has not passed the ballot test. It has not worked when uh, old people are on the ballot. They tend to do pretty well, except you, Bob Dole, who tried to build for, a bridge to the past. But but in the case of Bob Dole, I mean, you know, the, the Clintonites threw some, you know, uh, past aggressive ageism towards him. But the backdrop was still Clinton was running uh, over a booming economy. So, you know, Dole saying, where's the outrage, you know, doesn't land. Uh, Clinton can argue I'm doing future oriented things based on my record. So it wasn't like ageism saved him from an otherwise pending defeat. He was going to win anyway. Um, So we we don't have any any example. And it's not it's not like it hasn't been tried before. We, We don't have any example where a presidential candidate loses because of age-related attacks who any reasonable person said would have otherwise won. Uh, you know, Stevenson tried it on, on Eisenhower. Mondale tried it on Reagan. But Eisenhower had a good economy. And, and But, but it is true, even if overt ageist attacks do not work or haven't been demonstrated to work uh, electorally, Parties uh, until recently have tended to want to move forward generationally, um, not backward. I mean, we're still, I mean, electing uh, baby boomers and the silent generation. Silent. Biden's older than Bill Clinton. And so if I'm Nikki Haley and you're like, I'm trying to beat a guy who's effectively an incumbent, where are the credible contrasts? I mean, I think age isn't obvious. You know, it's not just age, it's about you know, cognitive abilities and, and, and energy. And, you know, now it's hard to run against Trump on energy because he kind of has a lot of it, but, but um, I think the age thing is an obvious, well, maybe you don't. And the same thing with electability, right? I mean, I think that the electability argument for Nikki was also an obvious contrast, but like every single thing she has tried, nothing has really worked. But you, I mean, this is true for Haley and Phillips. They tried the, they, they both tried electability slash ageism without a clear, obvious tie to substantive difference. You know, Dean Phillips, pass the torch. Pass the torch to do what? What is the next generation going to do that Joe Biden yeah. isn't doing? Biden's a very interesting cat because he is super old. He's the oldest president in history, but he's always been very good. At staying current, it's not like he's like climate, clean energy. What's that? I haven't heard of what. What's a semiconductor? I have no idea. Like, uh, I mean, he's he's progressive on trans rights. He's eighty one years old. He's progressive on trans rights. He stays current. He stays a little ahead of the curve on a lot of these things. So the past the torch argument doesn't land because Biden's not performing like someone who is out of touch with current America. Yeah. 
Uh, and the Republican voters are also out of touch. So, you you know, so they're down with being out of touch. I mean, but Nikki could say pass the torch to someone who doesn't pay off porn stars, pass the torch to someone who hasn't been indicted four times, pass the torch, you know, but pass the torch to someone who hasn't been found liable of, of sexual assault. But I don't know if that works. If th- those are substantive I mean, arguments. I think should about- much harder. They all should have gone harder on sexual assault. I mean, it's crazy to me. I mean, even the Democrats barely talk about it. Uh, I mean, Nikki that, said she hasn't been paying attention to it, I, Bill. This, the, 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 the verdict happened, if I remember correctly, before <laughs> the Alvin Bragg indictment. Um, or was it, was, it was early in the year. Um, and everyone has always been dead silent on that, which I think is just, I mean, this is not even like, it's actually adjudicated. <laughs> and people are the talking. The judge, about- I mean, I don't want to, you know, caveats and all that, but I th- didn't the judge say something to the effect of like, yeah, in other states, this would have been called rape. You know what I mean? Right. Something it's, something to that effect. It's just, it's, just, it's just a technicality that the label being used as sexual assault, but the judge is saying this is a finding based on uh, evidence that he raped Eugene Carroll. And I mean, again, if, if, if that happened to a candidate that wasn't named Trump, Trump would call that candidate a rapist. He would not hesitate to call that candidate a rapist. And no one's doing that. And right. That now. alone would sink anybody else easily. Yeah. And yet that's that I don't even know if that makes, I mean, I think it does make the top 10 list of Trump's, but I mean, there's a, there's a lot of competition for Trump's 10 worst things that we know he's said or done or, um, so, you know, who knows? So I, I do think that should have been prosecuted harder in the campaign. But that aside, it, scandals aren't, I mean, I, I think this is true for a lot of people. Scandals aren't enough to stop someone who people think fights for them. That is more important than anything else. Wait, uh, is that true for people or is that true for today's Republican Party who has a victim hood mentality uh, and an inferiority complex, I think it's I think it's tribalistic. I think that's human nature. I think that's human nature. If you, you think, okay, I think generally this is why this is why feminists stuck with Bill Clinton. Yes, yes, because even though he probably, well, even though he did what he did, he still has the right. He's 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 our guy. He's that's right. I mean, my my favorite political slogan, uh, Buddy Cianci. After being convicted, uh, I don't know what the exact charge was, but like he like, brutally assaulted a guy in his house uh, and uh, was convicted, served jail time, came out, ran for mayor again. The slogan was, I never stopped caring about Providence. And, and you know what he did? I interviewed him once on my podcast. Uh, he had a book. Was it called Pasta and Politics or something? Yeah. Or am I getting that confused with uh, a different belt? I think that's... Uh, former senator from New York. Anyway, uh, he wrote a book and I interviewed him about it. And if, as I remember, I think didn't he, uh, I think there was like a contractor who came to work on his house and he climbed up a ladder and he was up on the roof, like working on somebody's house and Buddy Cianci like pulled the ladder down <laughs> and like wouldn't, wouldn't put the ladder back. I mean, maybe I'm getting this confused, but anyway, he did some good stuff. I think they even moved the river. As I recall, cleaned up the town. Uh, but look, yeah. I'm willing to look the other way on the Prince of Providence. Maybe that's the name of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but the President of the United States is a lot more, you know, at stake. Yeah, and that's why I I think you know 
properly labeling him a rapist in the primary, I think would have been something that the candidate should have done. But they also had to say that Trump is bad for substantive reasons for what Republicans want to accomplish. Not that he isn't as good as we would like him to be or not as competent as you want him to be, or uh, uh, there had to be something far more straightforward to say Trump does bad things for us as Republicans, as Americans. These are what those things are, and I would do those things differently. Otherwise, you're not going to dislodge who is a quasi-incumbent, because if if the incumbent is generally in agreement with the median Republican voter, that's it. The incumbent's going to win. I'm thoroughly depressed, but uh, <laughs> once again, congratulations, Bill. You were right. <laughs> I hope you're happy with yourself. Have you ever thought that maybe you're the one somehow supernaturally causing these events? So wait, I, I, people were always attacking, like, you, you just want Trump to win, as if like anyone thinks that my tweets... <laughs> columns are going to have any effect on what Republican voters do. It's nonsense. Uh, I, what if what if this is like the death note or, you know, where you've got like you write a column and then it then it happens? I, I, I think I'd watch that show. I don't know sort of paranormal capabilities. Look, it, the reason why I think there's value in doing this kind of commentary at all, because you could say why what, this is all just for entertainment purposes, just why don't you shut up and let the people vote? And why do you have to get involved in it? And like, look, that I, I'm not trying to say it, it. There's value in telling people to not bother voting because everything's preordained. But there's always value in trying to understand what is happening in our body politic, in our electorates, nationally, within the parties. I think it's good for us as citizens to understand that. It's good as politicians to know how. How should I talk about this issue or that issue? What should I prioritize? What should my strategy be? If you don't understand what is happening around you, and look, I, this is what you know dumbfounded me in the 2020 race. I mean, you know, I wrote this piece in May 19, which is just based on publicly available data. You know, it wasn't like I'm I'm being a savant here. I'm just googling and reading poll data, uh, not just about the horse race, but about Democratic issue positions and sensibilities and such. Uh, and I could stitch that together in a piece. Um, and almost every professional Democratic political operative told their candidates to do something different uh, and to chase Bernie Sanders and to chase Elizabeth Warren, to chase the far left policies, because that's where the mojo is in the Democratic electorate, which was just factually wrong. And they all got burned in the process. Uh, so people who do this thing for stuff for a living can get trapped in echo sure. and that's why there's value. I, I, you don't have to convince me that we're heroes <laughs> and that we perform a valuable public service go to patreon.com slash patreon.com um bill i will say look i i love like whether it's sports talk and commentary going over the game film from last week and analyzing what went wrong or i mean my kids and i we were driving around the other day with my wife and she my wife hates this by the way but uh we got into this like, conversation about the movie Groundhog Day, and I don't know if you remember, but Bill Murray, on day one, he's he, you know he's trying to leave Punxsutawney to go back to Pittsburgh, and the tunnel is blocked. I think the tunnel is kind of metaphoric here, but the tunnel there's like a jackknifed rig, and right. he can't get through, so he goes back to Punxsutawney, and uh, then who knows? He could have been there for a thousand years. We don't know how many times he relived this day, but. 
But one of the things my youngest son brought up is like, why didn't he ever try to leave Punxsutawney? Like, get up the next morning and leave town at 5 a.m. before the snow starts. Would 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 that have broken the spell if he went to a different city? Would he have still woken up with Sonny and Cher playing in the uh, in the bed and breakfast? So my kids and I are having this debate, like you and I have about politics. We're having this debate about Groundhog Day, and my wife hates it because she's like all of your theories and you're overanalyzing everything. But like I find, and my kids have the same like whatever gene. Like I find it just very fascinating to to ponder these things well sometimes you don't want to overanalyze a work of art you just want to enjoy the art well it is a work of art we can agree and look if you just want to enjoy the reality tv drama of a presidential primary and just be surprised by the by the outcome you know have at it uh but uh i think that you know candidates have to be strategic and sometimes voters have to be strategic i mean if you're going into a multi-candidate election that is, you know, first past the post, uh, you have to think about, uh, am I casting my vote in a strategically sensible way? Uh, And that requires understanding the nature of your party, the nature of the broader electorate. Um, I mean, everyone has their own criteria that they use when they bring into a vote. But, uh, you know, you you hear this, we're going to hear this a lot with the we're going to have third-party candidates. I don't know how many states they're going to get on, but there's plenty of people who are going to try to exploit the fact that there's discontent with Trump and Biden, uh, and say this is a chance to have it. You know, don't don't fight the duopoly. You have other choices. Don't tell people you're going to waste your vote. Uh, but as just a matter of plain fact, we don't have ranked choice voting. We have not just a a system where the person gets electoral college votes when they win a plurality in a state. And if there's no electoral college majority, the race gets kicked into the House of Representatives where the delegate, we don't even know what number of delegations are going to be Republican and Democrat. Uh, so there's all sorts of uncertainties of what's going to happen based on this Rube Goldberg Democratic system that we have. So it's to narrow the choice to just vote for who you like. You know, don't let them tell you you can't vote for who you like, vote for who you like. Well, that's that's being purposefully unstrategic when the system demands you be strategic so you don't get an outcome that you truly hate. Uh, so you have to understand what's going on around you to be a citizen who performs at his or her maximum capability. Amen, brother. All right, well, we could go on, but we'll have... Uh... A lot of Groundhog Days, a lot of cold winter, dark winter days to uh, to get into more politics. Um, anything you want to plug? Well, check out my piece at the Monthly um, uh, about how ageism flopped in New Hampshire. Um, I also had a Substack newsletter for the Monthly yesterday, which is uh, which is about the polling history of New Hampshire, which may feel me a little outdated, but I do think it's still interesting history. Regardless, we we do have you know, some people have noted that the pollsters work off in a certain sense. They, they they overstated Trump's margin, and I think it's actually one of the bigger gaps between polling average and actual margin. Although I'm not one to argue that means like they they suck. They they they, they couldn't detect perhaps crossover votes that were that were baked into the 
uh, turnout models that they had. But the fact they were directionally correct, I still think is pretty relevant. But that you, 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 if you check out the Washington Monthly Substack, you'll see all the history. And I don't, I haven't really seen anybody else put the history together the way that I did. So check that out. Love it. Always, always smart to read Bill Share. Um, read my postmortem on New Hampshire and Nikki at the Beast. Um, also, uh, this past week and just in the run up to, uh, you know, with Iowa and New Hampshire, I interviewed uh, Steve Kornacki, Mike Murphy and David Frum on my podcast and on this YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Matt Lewis. Um, all of them are worth your time. I think the David Frum one specifically gets into deeper stuff than just the primaries. Um, and so I would commend that to you. David Frum, always interesting and insightful. Whether you agree with him or not, always a great, uh, great guest. Uh, so check that out, YouTube and or my Matt Lewis and the News podcast. All right. Always good to talk to you, Matt, especially when always I'm right. Always good talking to you. <laughs> and um, um, Here we go. I'm talking over you. Uh, I made it this long without... <laughs> Without doing that, and here at the end of the show, I'm going to botch it, but that's okay. Uh, till next week, is Nevada next week? Do we have to do a rip roaring Nevada uh, analysis? In the DMZ I don't week? know. I don't think the world is clamoring for us to uh, to do. Uh, maybe we'll get John Ralston on the line or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure the world needs our commentary on Nevada. Hard Unless we do pronounce it correctly. Anyway, we will be back next week talking about something. And uh, until then, we will see you in the DMZ. Take care.